You're listening to the Together in Literacy podcast, a podcast for educators, families, and advocates that connects the research of reading, dyslexia awareness, and the whole child. We're your hosts, Casey Harrison and Emily Gibbons. As two literacy dyslexia specialists, we've come together to talk about literacy, dyslexia, and the connection to the social emotional impact that it has on our students, their families, and the educators who serve them. We welcome you to join us on this exciting and educational journey into dyslexia as we come together in literacy. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast and visit us at www.togetherinliteracy.com. Thank you for joining us today. Let's get started. Hello, everyone. Casey and Emily here. We are your hosts, and this is episode number three in the Together in Literacy podcast. We're calling this Connecting Metacognition to Your Literacy Lessons. Hi, Casey. Hello. (laughs) We are really excited about this topic today and have a lot to share with you. Uh, Before we do that, we would just like to take a few minutes to acknowledge and thank the folks who have um, given us a positive review and left us some feedback on the podcast. It just really warms our hearts. So I just wanted to share the first one with us. This is Teacher Cindy and it's called Experts Who Are Real. I enjoyed hearing Casey and Emily share what brought them to dyslexic students. These are educators who still maintain tutoring practices To me, that means they are the real deal, walking the walk. I look forward to hearing more about how we as adults in the lives of dyslexic students can make opportunities to build emotional resilience in our students who struggle. There is more to the art of tutoring than choosing the right practice words. Casey and Emily are going to help us bring those needed heart supports to our lessons. Teacher Cindy, or if it's just Cindy, (laughs) thank you so much for that thoughtful feedback on the podcast. We just just loved reading that. We did. Um, yeah. And uh, we'd love to hear from all of you. So if you have a few minutes, please uh, leave us a little bit of podcast love on there. <laughs> Let us know what you think about it, um, especially for a couple of newbies like us. It really is. <laughs> Helps mm, absolutely. Yes. <laughs> now we, we greatly appreciate that. We and, do. You know, I, I think that, um, you know, Cindy's words really speak to why we wanted to start this because when she was talking about how the art of tutoring is choosing more than just like the academic piece that it, it really is tying in that social emotional piece. And I know for myself and Emily, that that is something that we really believe in strongly. And so when we're kind of talking about, metacognition and literacy, right? Sometimes we focus so much on the academic components, but Mm -hmm. that social emotional piece and that metacognitive piece is really important in helping our students maintain and gain their self-confidence and to be able to um, speak for themselves and advocacy and just really build up that that self-esteem that can sometimes be whittled away with dyslexia. Absolutely. And we certainly put our whole hearts into our interventions for our children, but we also care so deeply about relationships. And uh, that's what we're 
you know, aiming to talk about with all of you. So be sure, once again, please leave us some, <laughs> leave us a review if you like this podcast. We so appreciate it. All right. So once again, episode three is connecting metacognition to your literacy lessons. Ooh, I just love that word. I'm just going to keep saying it again. Metacognition. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Metacognition. I I think that's a great word. And and when I talk to kids about that, I really just say that it's thinking about your thinking, Right. right? And when we are working with students, all students, but especially students that are struggling and students with dyslexia, helping them understand how their brain works can be really enlightening and empowering, and it can bring this awareness to our thinking processes, um, that maybe they haven't really tuned into in the past. Yeah. Um, I know Emily and I, we both talk about the brain with our students and we both bring up the brain before every single lesson. So it's not just a, you know, one time you talk about it for us, it's such an important piece that it's how we both start our sessions by bringing their focus back to the brain and how that connects to our multisensory learning. I think our discussions about the brain are just so fluid and integral into our lessons. I think our kids just constantly know like, Oh yeah. Well, because we just say, and this is what your brain is doing right now. Or at this point, Mm -hmm. your brain is working on this area or or when we do this, your brain is trying to do this. It's just a constant little conversation, I think being interwoven. So it just becomes just like second nature. Yes, absolutely. And I think it's important for the kids, you know, to kind of understand that the work that we do in our tutoring or therapy sessions are, you know, is actually helping to rewire the brain to make those connections in our brain that are necessary to unlock the reading code. And, you know, in previous episodes, we kind of talked a little bit about how there's not a reading lobe, an area designated just for reading. So, because of that, we actually have to create these like new pathways in our brain. That's going to create a new circuitry system for reading to happen. And so when the kids understand, um, why we're doing certain pieces or what their role is, it really helps them to have an active role in their own learning by looking, listening, speaking, thinking, and doing all those things that are necessary to make those connections in the brain. Right. You know, even linking back to, uh, when Marianne Wolf told us all, our, we were never born to become readers. That was just not in our wiring when we're you know, many, many years ago. You know, and here we are today in 2021, and reading is and has been so critically important. And I think when kids see that, that wow, this is something that I really have to work at building and growing and nurturing over time. And that just becomes, especially for the older students, I think like when they look back at sort of historically how things have evolved over time with the human brain, its needs to accommodate, I think it's just, just becomes a really interesting conversation. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's, it's necessary for us we all want to be understood and we all want to understand ourselves. And I think that when we're, you know, teach the children about their, their brain and how their brain works and how their dyslexic brain works, that that can really be empowering for our students when they understand 
what areas we're working on and why we're doing certain pieces. I think that that's really helpful. So I know um, Emily and I, we both use the brain hat, which oh, if yeah. you haven't seen, we'll put a link in the, <laughs> in the notes section. Um, it's fabulous. And it is. you can, you know, print it off and you can talk to the kids about their brain. And it's really amazing. All the different areas of the brain that are working together in order to, to function. It's yeah. pretty cool to see. Casey went, you know, in, in the Orton Gillingham group several years ago, someone had taken the brain hat and had given it to a student that was really pretty handy and wired it. (laughs) And so that there were little light bulbs that when they pressed something lit up certain areas of the brain hat. And I was just in awe. I said, oh, oh that gosh, is so cool. that is incredible. Please send that child to me. Can <laughs> they make me one of those that lights up? Yes. The brain hat is an amazing freebie that we've found and shared a lot over the years that a lot of, uh, or Gillingham folks love to use because we mm-hmm. spend a lot of time talking about the brain. It's just a wonderful visual for children to see. There's a color version and a black and white version. Um, I sometimes will make a brain hat with a child that can sit like right on a baseball cap and then they can wear the baseball cap and just take that on and off. There is just so much rich discussion to be had when you use that brain hat. Another thing I'd love to take out is the visual I have of the language triangle, which mm-hmm. is one of our hallmarks of Wharton Gillingham, which is to explain multisensory instruction and the importance of simultaneous senses being activated. And when we are you know, touching and hearing and seeing all those things and feeling our brain is able to build those stronger, stronger neural pathways So I tend to not only have the brain hat, but just sort of have this visual of the language triangle in there. And both of these things will be sure to link for you in the show notes and blog posts. So be sure to look for those. And just to link back to episode two, when we're talking about some of our myths and things, we're thinking about why is it so important to keep talking about the brain? And we had mentioned how it's so critical to keep saying dyslexia. And because our, our students do need to understand that this is lifelong, there's no cure for mm-hmm. dyslexia. There are strategies to be learned over time. There are different things that are impacted in the life of a person with dyslexia. It just depends. So on the intervention that's being received, if, and we hope for everyone. So we do want to with the students we have today keep talking about it keep saying dyslexia and use these brain activities yeah i think that's a really important point because we need to understand that both as educators as parents and as students with dyslexia that dyslexia is lifelong and so that means that the better we understand brain processes and how our brain works and what works for our brain and and learning and what may not help us the most the, the more success we can find, because then it's going to lead us to shifting our mindset and then helping to come up with an action plan. Because to me, that's actually what being metacognitive is, right? It's, it's having the mindset of saying, okay, this is the problem. 
this is what I need to do to try to fix the problem. Did it work? Did it not work? And then making these adjustments. So we can, you know, I'm so excited that we're starting to have these conversations in our schools about mindset and growth mindset and fixed mindset, but just sitting with mindset alone doesn't move us forward. So when we have that mindset, then if, you know, if we're working on, on growth mindset and we're working on identifying an area that we're struggling with and then saying, okay, I I haven't figured it out yet. We need to help students come up with a plan to Mm -hmm. try to figure it out. And then we may need to adjust that plan, but that's really where metacognitive lands, right. Is in the ability to understand it, come up with a plan, try the plan and then adjust the plan and learn from it. So that's what I, I think is really important to work on with my students. And that links back to the brain because we're always thinking about our thinking and thinking about how we're learning. But for, for me, that impacts not only our instruction, but also the self-advocacy piece, because for, for my students, that's such a big, big piece that I want them to leave with. I want them to feel empowered enough in their own knowledge of themselves as learners so that they can speak to their own needs and speak to their strengths. So that's why for me, that's a big piece. And just when we're talking about the brain with kids, you you might be wondering, is it, when is it too young? to talk to kids about the brain. It's not, you can start, kids love learning the language of the brain. So we can definitely teach them occipital and parietal (laughs) and temporal and frontal, right? They want to know those, those four lobes. You can talk about that with them and show them. Um, I have a little Play-Doh model uh, that we make with kids and color and use different colors for that and talk about mm-hmm. what, you know, each lobe has a little job or big job actually, and how they all have to work together to help you to become a successful reader. But uh, yes, absolutely. To, with the importance of being metacognitive, we have three main points that we just want to really make sure that we're communicating to you. And that is so important for self-advocacy. Mm-hmm. So children know how to have the language to communicate their needs and to be able to speak up for that in a variety of situations. Casey was mentioning earlier, whether it's being able as you're older to attend team meetings Mm -hmm. or whether it's knowing that you can be brave enough to talk to your teacher and discuss what works best for you. That takes time. It doesn't happen overnight for some kids, especially some that are not feeling the greatest about their own learning process at the time. Yeah. And I think what we'll, we'll kind of discover, and I know for me, the more we kind of talk about these things is they're interconnected, right? Mm -hmm. So saying dyslexia and, and, and dispelling those myths that we've talked about in previous episodes, and then understanding the brain and how that works, and then empowering students to be able to, to know themselves enough and know what they need so that they can ask for accommodations. Um, I know a lot of times as they they move up the grades there, that, that that's, and they are, you know, required to ask for accommodations. So, um, I actually spent a part of our session with one of my middle schoolers last week where we were, we practiced, we wrote an email to a teacher asking for an accommodation that wasn't being provided. Um, all of that takes 
practice. It's language that we're trying to put into place. And there's, you know, certain ways to um, advocate for yourself um, so that you can receive the supports that you need. So I think they're all linked and there's kind of like this gradual release of responsibility. So I always worry when I see that all of a sudden kids are supposed to know to ask or, or know to go get the papers on their own. If they mm-hmm. haven't had guidance or tutorials in how to speak up for themselves. And if they're, if they don't yet feel empowered, if they don't know themselves enough as learners, then they might not feel that that's something that they can step into. So I think everything, everything we do, you know, not just the academic piece, but really that social emotional piece is is so interwoven and necessary for our students to find success. Right. That gradual release of responsibility is just so critical. You know, we're giving them little incremental pieces over time, according to their development to help them so that once they enter a middle high school and college and beyond, they feel equipped enough to be able to handle a situation such as needing an extension on an assignment or planning a project out, writing that first big report, all those things. It's starting with just at the very beginning, helping a child learn how to properly set up a paper, you know, just how to write the date down and gradually giving them a little bit more, a little bit more as they're ready. And um, knowing that we're not doing it all for you. (laughs) We're empowering you along the way. Yeah. That empowerment piece is is really big. And, and so when we're thinking about that and just think about how empowering it is when you can speak up for yourself, when you, when you know enough and you feel confident enough to be able to speak to your needs, that is, man, when, when my kids reach that level, it's just, it's such a beautiful thing to see, you know, when I attend 504 IEP meetings and they're the ones that have taken charge of their learning. It's so amazing. And, but it doesn't happen over time. As Emily said, it's things that we need to constantly have these conversations with our students so that they have a deep understanding so they can speak to it. I think that it's really important because again, dyslexia is lifelong. And so while we focus a lot as educators in the school setting, accommodations go beyond accommodations go into the workforce. And so mm-hmm. having those skills to, and that confidence to speak to what you need is really lifelong. And that's, so I think that is an important piece for us to start to shift how we may be approaching our tutorials or interventions or therapy sessions, because it, I th- I really believe that we need to bridge the two that, you know, yes. hyper-focusing on, on the academics or just on the social emotional piece, they, they really can't operate in, in separate fields. They really need to be integrated in order to meet the needs of the whole child. Right. You know, and children are, I think, constantly pushing for just a little more autonomy, right? Mm-hmm. Even starting as as young as two and three, when you hear you're a little toddler (laughs) yelling, I want to do it myself. (laughs) They're constantly striving for a little more autonomy with you. And so we can nurture that by providing these learning opportunities first, you know, discussing the brain, but always having just fluid conversations about the brain and how our learning works and what works best for you. Yeah. What, What is the best way that 
you know, your brain works when you need to complete this assignment? Do you need to make a checklist? Do you need to sit with someone to break down the steps a little further? Things like that. Just helping them break down those tasks and learn a little bit more about how things work. It's once again, back to that metacognition. Um, I think it's just a wonderful lifelong skill we're providing for them. I know we, we talk about metacognition. It's in the past for me, it, it always seems so deeply tied to reading strategies. And we always, you know, it was always about reading, but metacognition is so much more than just learning about reading strategies. It really is. You know? It's really about thinking about a plan that you've kind of come up with. And then what I always like, what I try to tell my own children at home too, is that we don't necessarily focus on the mistakes that we made when we try to plan, but we focus on the lesson that we learned mm. from those, you know, okay, well, let's try this. Did this strategy work? Okay. Well, what part didn't work for you? What part did work for you? And then we come up with another strategy or we add on to a strategy or we modify a strategy because that's part of that metacognition. That's it's part of that learning about how can we make these adjustments in order to find our, to meet our goals. Right. You know? Yeah. You know, last night was a you know, perfect example. My daughter was getting a little upset at bedtime talking about how it was hard for her to concentrate in her when the kids were all reading in class and everyone's chit-chatting and, and she's just sort of upset. And I said, well, I said, we can continue. You can, it's okay to feel sad and we, I can just, you know, give you a big hug about it, or we can continue talking about some solutions. Which one do you want? <laughs> she said, I want to talk about more solutions. <laughs> and I said, okay. And she was convincing me to buy her a pair of noise canceling headphones. And I'm not so sure about that, <laughs> but there's a perfect little example with the seven-year-old, right? And I love that you gave her those choices. I think that's so powerful too, right? You said, okay, do you want to keep talking about it? Or do you want to just, do you need my help? Do you, and I offer that to my students yeah. and my children as well, right? Do you just need me to listen? Do yeah. you need me to intervene? Do you need me to assist you in in a certain thing. So I think that that's really powerful too, to, to give those children, those choices. You know, um, we always, uh, my kids love grumpy monkey. So it's permission to feel right. Yeah. We're allowing them to just have those feelings or be more in a problem solving role. We can go either way. Right. Yeah, absolutely. But I just love grumpy monkey. That's such a, <laughs> I give that book to everybody. <laughs> Great books that we can use mm-hmm. to help with conversations about the brain and about books, learning and yeah. dyslexia. Yeah. <laughs> I know that you know, Nessie has a great one. That's kind of, um, a good little introductory into dyslexia and it, it touches just a little bit of, on the brain, but it's a nice overview of dyslexia. And then Emily has a book that she likes to use for the brain. Yeah. So a couple of books. So, you know, I try to gear it towards different age groups because the first one I'll mention, you know, it might feel a little too young for some of your kids, the fantastic elastic brain, but that's just to sort of Give your brain a great big hug, a big, great big cheer for all the amazing things it can do, right? And talking about brain elasticity, which is so mm-hmm. important. And we always talk about how we, our brain is a muscle, it has, it's plastic, we, we can, it has plasticity and what that means, um, all those big words. But you can do that with that book. 
But if you want to get really scientific, which some of your kiddos might really, really love, we see more Simon, who I love his use of photography in his books, has written one about the brain that goes into much more detail uh, that you would use with your older students. And I also have a few videos that I've found that are appropriate for your students that you could show in the classroom. I found some on YouTube and we'll link those as well. Mm -hmm. Um, There's one from SciShow Kids. There is one called Your Big Brilliant Brain. So a couple there will, will be sure to link for you because I know just being able to have visuals because the brain can seem really abstract to Mm -hmm. not just kids, but to adults too. So um, totally understandable. But yeah, the Nessie book is awesome. I love that one when we're talking about dyslexia. So we'll talk more about dyslexia books next time. Casey, you want to tell us about the future episodes? Yeah. (laughs) So, you know, we, we love using books as, as you can tell. And so we thought we would have episode four really talking about those books that are some of our favorites that we use to promote both the social emotional learning, um, components and dyslexia. So we, Emily and I have compiled, a lot of books actually (laughs) for you guys. And that's going to be a tough one. (laughs) It's going to be hard for us to pick some of our favorites, but we hope to include maybe a little, a little giveaway of uh, some of our favorite books for that too. So yeah. So yeah. So definitely episode four favorite (laughs) SEL dyslexia books and definitely be on the lookout for a little children's book giveaway to um, reward all of you. (laughs) All right. And so Casey's going to wrap up with something that new that we're starting, which is a question from one of you, from someone in our Together in Literacy community. And we're so thrilled to hear from you. So Casey, we we really are. And, you know, Emily and I, we, we look through the questions and we are so thankful um, for that engagement with, with all of you. So feel free to send, send your questions our way. But we had a listener who was asking a question. They they're having a little bit of challenges in terms of determining how much activities they need to include in their lessons to make sure that kids are feeling engaged to get them to participate instead of just shutting down. So, and this listener was saying that, you know, sometimes you just feel like they're more of an entertainer than a teacher. And I think we can probably all identify with that on some level. I think attention spans, I know for my own children, (laughs) they seem to be lacking sometimes. And so we want to kind of give you guys some, some of the things that we do talk about it a little bit, some of the activities and, and strategies that we use when we have children that may be really disengaged or really struggling when something new comes along. So a lot of times if they have experienced a great deal of frustration or struggles, and then they come to interventions, lack of trust in, in teachers. And that may not be because, you know, not because teachers aren't trying, but maybe because they weren't, the children weren't being set up for success or in a way that they were able to meet success. So they may not trust that we are going to provide them with what they need. So um, I know for me that that has been something when I, when I've had some kiddos who really very much not wanting to participate that, that it really has for us come down to where I need to really set them up with opportunities to succeed. I need to be really explicit in linking their new learning to previous learning so that it's done in a way where 
they can see how they're connected. So it doesn't feel like something brand new without any backup and then helping them just trusting that I'm not going to ask them to do anything that I haven't prepared them for. I think that has been a big, a big piece for students with me to help them break those barriers. Yeah. Those kiddos who really lack in that trust department, we sort of say the self-talk is strong in this one (laughs) in the words of like star Wars, right? (laughs) They can, it can really feel, they can feel that self-defeatist, those thoughts kind of creeping in. And Casey Mm -hmm. just provides such a beautiful background to sort of understand the perspective of the child and where they're coming from. And a couple of things that have worked, I think for me specifically, as I had mentioned before with children really wanting, not only build that trusting relationship, so critical, especially with our intervention students, but I'm building that level of autonomy that yes, I, you can trust me to be able to take you where you need to go. And you know what? That doesn't happen right away. It happens very gradually over time and it can take a long time. Um, but I have found some things just being able to offer a level of choice that is reasonable with Mm -hmm. children, whether it be okay, when we're able to complete this task and this task, then you're able to go to this menu of activities and choose something that you would like to do. Or the way when we get to the dictation portion, I had a student that was really motivating when I turned their certain points of it into like a baseball game, something as simple and some little, little incentive like that he really enjoyed. Um, And Casey and I, we talked about that visual schedule. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I think the visual schedule can really help, especially for my students who really struggle. I will put a time on there so they know, okay, we're only doing this for two minutes, Mm. only doing this for three minutes. And that just gives it some closure. You can do anything for two minutes. You you can do this. So, you know, and we'll, then we kind of would turn it into a game after a while. And I would say, okay, let's see, you know, if we were doing our decks, let's, it's only two minutes. Let's see how many we could get done. Um, Or I would play a game where I would hold the card up and I would slide it down towards the table and they would have to say it before it got to the horizon, just little things like that, where it doesn't take a lot of time. Um, but they're just quick and they're motivating. Um, and then I think the other thing, you know, about choices you can, I think sometimes like I love to play quote unquote games, but my games are actually just activities. Yeah. <laughs> we call <laughs> them I, games. That I call games. <laughs> <laughs> I might pull out like, um, just like a blank board game and I'll have their sentences that, you know, they were going to be reading for, um, controlled text and I will cut them into strips and then we roll and they read. And I can almost always get them. They read my questions too. Cause I'm like, Hey, can you read my sentence? And they'll read mine or they'll read my words. And they're actually end up reading more than they would have. If I just would have given them a paper. Cause for some children looking at a paper, like that's just very overwhelming visually. Right. So, um, there's just, oh, I love you know, that. providing those those choices that are still the work, but it's kind of, um, you know, done in a little bit of a different way. Right. I mean, I've cut up my sentence strips. I just did this last week. And one of the, couple of the sentence strips I put on a a spider sticker because we're getting close to Mm. Halloween. And I called this game in quotes, not really 
game. <laughs> I called it the, the tricky spider game. And the student was like, did you just make that up? And I said, yeah, I did. Just, just go with it. <laughs> so she had to pick out, <laughs> she had to pick out the sentence strips and read them. And you couldn't pick the tricky spider because if you got the tricky spider, then it was like some, there was some little point system attached to it. It was really silly and zero prep. I thought it up in the moment, but you know what? It got her through reading a lot of sentences. So that was good. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and, and I always say, you know, sometimes simple is best, yes. right? A simple. And so I will have like maybe a handful of like, you know, four to five go to activities that are, that's, that's what we use. Casey, I think we need to do an episode on the 20 best ways you can use a bag of uh, tongue depressors. <sighs> I think so. Yeah. Or a pack of sticky notes or or games. Yeah. Or there's simple little games that are really disguised as awesome practice. (laughs) Absolutely. I love that. I I will write write that that down. down. Yeah, definitely. Well, all right. Yeah. I mean, we definitely want to answer your questions. We're so excited to have you guys as part of the community and we thank you for listening. We're we're glad you're here. If you would like Casey and I to answer one of your questions, you can email us at support at togetherinliteracy.com. So then we, uh, and don't forget to check out the website, www.togetherinliteracy.com and look for our blog posts on there and we will see you soon. Thank you so much for listening today. Bye everyone. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Together in Literacy podcast today. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a positive review and subscribe to the podcast. Each comment means a great deal to us. And if you have any questions for us that you would like answered on the Together in Literacy podcast, please contact us at support at togetherinliteracy.com. Be sure to visit the website www.togetherinliteracy.com for show notes, downloads, and goodies. Thank you for helping us spread the word about the Together in Literacy podcast. We'll see you next time.